boldness. Welcome to the bonus on this. Well, I think winter in Melbourne is finally leaving us and about time to... um, This is the bonus. Now, before we continue, I should mention, of course, that the bonus is about grabbing your human rights, not just waiting for some well-meaning person to give them to you. So... Coming up, or before we tell you who's coming up on today's show, we have to introduce my co-host, who is Raphael Caleb. Hello, Raphael. Finn, how are you doing tonight? I am doing very well. So, um, <clears throat> so who are we coming up on today's show, Raphael? Well, we are talking with Samantha Connor, a disability advocate, and it will be fantastic with doers uh, mass killings across in Japan, and we're talking about a non Royal Commission about Disability Abuse. Yes, correct. And fortunately, uh, Samantha joins us all the way from WA. Either you online, Samantha? I am. Hi, Finn. Hello. How are you? Um, I'm good. Very good. Now, now, um, recently, um, we've recently, or since our last show, unfortunately, we've had the uh, sad news of, of. Mass killings in in uh, J- Japan, which were very, very, which which were obviously which were tragic, but didn't really receive much. Uh, me- didn't really receive a lot of media c- coverage, and uh, which is disapp- which is disappointing in itself. But do you think that uh, do you think that these killings could be described as a disability hate crime? Absolutely, and I think. Um one of the big issues that we have in Australia is that we um, don't have hate crime legislation, you know, and, and overall there's just a, a lack of um, discussion around disability hate crimes across the world. Well, um, yes, because even, I think even, um, yeah, in, in Australia there just doesn't seem to, to be, doesn't we don't seem to, to talk about it and definitely... Uh, for those that don't know um, or uh, can't remember, l- last month there was a a uh, mass killing at a, at a disability facility in J- Jap- Japan, uh, in which um, nineteen p- people were c- killed and a further forty five people injured, and which that was the biggest uh, mass killing in Japan since World War t- Two. Um, and and the majority of these p- people were people with disabilities and the uh, the letter that the, uh, the the killer wrote a letter to the Japanese parliament in which he out- virtually said that he wanted people with disabilities to 
uh, disappear, that we that we were uh, um, that we were a blight on the the world economy, and to um, that he advocated for um, ki- killing us without uh, or ki- killing so. Uh, people with severe disabilities without parent, with uh, in conjunction with parental consent. Um, obvi- now that's obviously that's um, obviously very uh, that, that is obviously very confronting and and very shocking to hear. And uh, I mean, thank goodness his views are, are not espoused too widely, uh, which which is good. But what surprised me about all this was. The the lack of um, not that I want to conflate crimes, but there was a compared to uh, the compared to what happened at the Orlando nightclub, and then compared to um, what happened uh, in in France of recent times, this got very minimal coverage. Samantha, what do what do you what do you um, what do you make of that? I think it's um, it's a real case of othering of disabled people, you know, that in the wake of Orlando, which was also a hate crime, um, you know, people changed their um, profile pictures on social media and covered them with rainbows, I certainly did, you know, to show solidarity for the, for the families. Um, the victims were named as well so that people knew that these were people who had real lives and who weren't just members of a of a minority, you know, they were people who were people, and and that was something that was absent in the reporting around um, around um, around Japan. You know, that there there wasn't a there were no names released of the victims. There was no, I think, one family described their family member, and there was re- there was no public attention. It was really painted as. Um, something that happened once in a nursing home somewhere, you know, and I think the underlying messages that were sent through were the same sort of language that the um, the murderer used, which was mercy killing. Samantha, does it surprise you that there was such little coverage about um, disability about this event? No, I don't think so. I have the um, unenviable job of, of collecting uh, media reporting around disability and and disability hate crimes and you know and we're in this uncomfortable position where you don't want to compare tragedies you know you don't want to say well what about us but you know it's it's difficult to understand that in 2011 um, a little boy was put in a garden shed and duct taped and cable tied um, to a chair and left to uh, freeze to death after having his nose rubbed in his own feces and um, and it didn't hit the media. And so when the inquest rolled around in 2015, there was very little reporting, you know, about the fact that this child was... The child was nine. Um, the child was routinely tortured. This sort of happened over the course of a year or two. And um, if it had been a child who was able-bodied and allistic and neurotypical, I mean, this, this would be all over, all over the media, you know. And in comparison... Um, the tragedy where um, a man in South Australia drove his two children into a into a um, off the end of a jetty, um, you know, before the 
the waters dry on the upholstery. You have people all over the world who are sort of dissecting this tragedy and saying, was he a good guy or was he not? And is this violence acceptable? So for disability, there's this absolute blockout and silence. So I think it says something about the way that people regard disabled people and their value and worth. Why? Why? I mean, why are we? Why are we not considered? Why are we not considered equal? I suppose. I, th- I think there's, um, you know, apart from the othering thing, we've been so long segregated and isolated that people think that we must have special treatment. There's special things for special people, you know. And um, I remember Stella Young used to always say special as shit. (laughs) And, you know, thoroughly agree. Um, So, you know, the idea that we might be treated differently, and that includes our murders, um, is something that has some mainstream currency, you know. So quite often when we're talking about... Um, the fact that parents often kill disabled children. We have um, apologists who pop up and say, you know, this is absolutely about support. And quite often, you know, they're complicated issues because you do have issues around support, but there also needs to be a recognition that there's hate crime that does occur in the same way that there's crime against able-bodied and neurotypical people. Uh, Samantha, is that Peter Singer might have something to say about uh, people who are born with disabilities? Would you like to comment? Yeah, look, Peter Singer has quite a lot um, to say about people with disabilities. He um, holds the view that disabled children should be killed after birth as well as before birth. So, um, so one of you know one of our startling statistics is that um, children with Down syndrome are uh, routinely terminated. Um, you know, ninety percent of of um, children are terminated in the womb, and and it's you know, and and for somebody who's pro-abortion like me, it's quite a difficult discussion to have. You know, um, how can you be pro-termination, pro-choice, and then be anti-eugenic? So there's kind of some difficult issues there. What I don't find difficult is for somebody to say, look, we should kill kill children after they're born and kill infants after they're born um, because they don't have any value and worth and are based on the perception of other people's idea of what our lives are going to look like. And that, for me, is really problematic. What sort of... Um, what, what, what sort of... I guess, what does his thinking do to, I guess, the, the, the mainstream think, thinking of disability, if you like? What, what does he... What does... Because he holds such a prominent position at, at um, university and is thought of as a, a very prominent thinker, what and, and comes across being a philosopher as so reasoned and measured, what what sort of um, what are his what does his thinking do for the for people's perception of people with disabilities? Uh, yeah, look, I think. Um Singh is really problematic because, you know, I have lots of friends who are in the animal rights movement, for example, and he ascribes more rights to animals than he does to disabled people. So that's, it's, a, it's a huge issue for us that he's so well regarded. Um, at Princeton, where he holds a, um, a position, there are many disabled people who... Um, I think somebody said that the office is on a hill and, you know, disabled protesters can't quite get up there, which is a beautiful analogy. <laughs> and um, <laughs> the, the issues for... Um, 
for disabled people is, you know, we're having conversations all the time about euthanasia and the conversation about assisted suicide and what that might look like for disabled people, you know, in the is is a really difficult discussion to have. So I think the regard that Singer is held in and the way that we are so completely silenced and invisible is um, a really big problem for disabled people that we need to change. The late um, Stella Young might have something to say about it on how she said that the way her life turned out, she might be regarded as an equal of Peter Singer, but it wouldn't have been that way when she was actually born, given uh, that she had um, a disability. Mm, Absolutely. And um, Stella, very shortly before she died, um, wrote a piece which was about going in for a routine surgery and um, and she was about to go under anaesthetic and the nurse said, um, oh, you've had a good innings, haven't you? And she was 32. So, you know, having, having singers' um, ideas about the worth of people, um, their ideas about our suffering, um, you know, their ideas about whether we have any quality of life, I think, you know, having those ideas spread around and... Um, and given a public forum, um, are, are you know problematic. It's all. It's also interesting that he places an enormous amount of faith in medical practitioners, um, who, well, no one doubts that they do a a a fine, a fine job. Then they can't be always the arbiter of what is or isn't someone's quality of life. Yeah, that's right. And and doctors and medical practitioners make um, and make those decisions every day. You know, which which is true. You know, Singer pointed that out in at Q and A. Um, you know, so so they do make life and death decisions, and sometimes they're really difficult decisions. But um, they're very often wrong. You know, so there's there's many many people who um, who are um, you know who live and are still living fantastic lives as disabled people whose prognosis is really poor. Um, I was I remember reading a piece by Gillian Triggs, who's our human rights um, head, who gave birth to a, a profoundly disabled young woman named Victoria. And she was, and Victoria was, um, and I quote, you know, as profoundly disabled as somebody could be. Um, uh, Ms. Triggs um, adopted her out very early um, to a family, and did, and nobody expected her to live. But she lived until she was 21. So you know, so those those ideas about how long we're going to live, what our lives are going to look like, and and how we're going to um, you know be supported are, are often quite wrong. That's a matter. As part of your job as a disability advocate, how do you actually? handle it when there is a lot of negativity associated with being a disability where it seems like you might get very bombarded with um, this, this kind of um, news? How would you actually handle yeah. it? Um, I think I'd, I have a, you know, a, a national um, group and, and actually international a group of a small group of other um, activists who work in the space of violence and disability in that intersectional space. So, you know, Mark Sherry and Ivor Perry, there's um, quite a, you know, there's quite a few international people who sort of advocate around awareness issues of, of violence. So we we debrief, you know, quite a lot, and it does get difficult when, um, you know, you're trying to sort of cope with this 
not only, you know, these really traumatic stories, but then also the complete invisibility of people, you know. So um, it, it's kind of a personal thing to disabled people when essentially you're being, you're having it reinforced that you're not worth anything in the eyes of other people, and that can be a really difficult thing. But, yeah, I think we have um, a good network of advocates and activists, and I think we, um, you know, we're all passionate enough about this particular cause to keep working at it. Uh, because Samantha is that on International Day of Disability, uh, the boldness usually does a show, and we actually do a section of media analysis about disability. And on International Day of Disability, how many articles did we find last year? I think it was about three in any number of newspapers. Finn? Yeah, that's right. Y- yes, that was about, uh, about the, it's very minimal coverage. Well, it's not even minimal coverage. It might as well not be there. <laughs> um, what in terms of, I guess, how, how I mean, how can we ch- change people's thinking with re- with regard to, um, I guess, with with regard to hate hate crime with with regard to hate crime, but also, I guess, change people's p- perception that um, they these stories do matter and do do need it. Uh, airing. Oh, that's probably the the question. <laughs> it know? is a bit, and and I'm not sure. You know, Finn, there's. Um, I remember, in terms of media intersect, nobody knows that. Um, I think five of the people who were killed in the Snowtown um, murders, which were you know the bodies in the barrel murders, um, there were um, a couple of men. I think four men who were the perpetrators. And and they killed a whole bunch of, of people, but out of, I think, 10 or 12 um, people, these five people were disabled. And I think the reason that this actually got coverage where the people were betrayed as people is because they weren't betrayed as disabled people. You know, so they were absolutely hate crimes, um, but because, you know, the reporters left disability out because other people were killed, it became this thing where they were dragged along with having having a sign of the same value as other people. And, you know, there's other examples. Um, there was a, a child named Ebony who was um, who was murdered in Hawke's Nest in New South Wales. Um, and she, the reporting didn't describe the fact that she was autistic to, to her death and it wasn't painted as a hate crime. So, and it was painted in the framework of child protection rather than disability. So, you know, that's not what we want to happen. We want to be rec- we want the fact that these are disability hate crimes being recognised, and I think part of that is legislation, and part of that is um, kind of you know the system actually having an understanding that we're talking about um, you know in some cases really marginalised populations of people who this is just happening every day to. What, what sort of what um, in t- terms of I mean I guess to bring it or to tie it in I suppose not very nicely but we've also uh, recent times had a uh, and sorry before we do that I should explain our guest this evening is Samantha Connor who's a disability advocate who wears so many hats that I can't really work out what what exactly she does at any given time but um, her hats are always delightful to look at um but getting getting um getting back to um something not so pleasant the the um 
disability the disability um uh, in terms well in terms people have been calling for for a a royal commission into disability abuse and I thought it was interesting that um, in the wake of the Four Corners investigation into Aboriginal um, the, what had happened in at the, the, the Dondale Centre in the Northern Territory that uh, Turnbull was very quick to announce a, a Royal Commission yet um, there, uh, the, the, there was a Senate inquiry about disability abuse in uh, that was t- tabled a year ago, and uh, n- nothing's ha- sort of nothing's happened. And again, I'm not trying to conflate uh, issues here, but it, it is interesting that one royal commission gets up, and and yet we're still we're still getting a lot of silence in terms of the a royal commission in, into disability abuse. Yeah, and um, it's been nine months since, since you know the the um, the Senate Standing Committee handed down this report with thirty recommendations, and usually the government takes two months to respond to those to those reports. So, you know, so nine months is um, just really enough for a whole bunch of us to just give birth to murderous rage. Really, you know, <laughs> hilariously, um, you know, because it, it it really says something about public pressure that, you know, absolutely the appropriate response to what happened at Dondale is that there's an immediate inquiry that's going to have some weight and there's also um, discussion about who's going to be leading that inquiry and, you know, but since um, since the Senate handed down their report, we've had a man um, jailed for the manslaughter of that 11-year-old boy, another man's been jailed for the torture and murder of his uh, 7-year-old intellectually disabled stepson who was beaten to death, there's been a, a Perth psychologist who specialised in working with disabled children who was arrested for possession of child pornography. Um, and he actually was the psychologist of a number of my friend's children. Um, there's been psychiatric nurses investigated. There's been reports handed down. There's been the Victorian government handing down um, reports into abuse and disability services and the statewide inquiry and also psychiatric patients. So all of these things have have happened and yet there's been no public outcry and no call for a response from government which I find really disappointing. What do what do we need to do, do to ensure that there is a response? Um I think you know people outside of the disability sector need to recognize that these things are happening and they really need to put pressure on government and start lobbying their MPs and start speaking out loud about disability violence, especially when it occurs in um, disability settings. You really need to, you know, there's a culture inside institutional settings where there's no mainstream responses. So if somebody is raped, um, it never goes to the police and the person never gets counselling or rape trauma counselling and there's never a, um, you know, they're never sent to a sexual assault referral unit. So I think that othering just needs to stop and we need to look at mainstream responses and that includes the type of response that government had to, to Dondale. Is it, and is it, I mean, is the, is the, the, is the Royal Commission the only way that can be achieved or is there, there something, is there another way we can um, try to, I guess, um, bring this to mainstream attention? 
Yeah, I think the mainstream attention stuff is really difficult because people just don't buy into, you know, the stuff that happens to those other people, you know. And um, really the only way that we receive mainstream attention is when we're present, you know, when we're living in, in, you know, with everybody else in the community, when we're in the same schools, when we're at the same workplace. And um, and that's something that hasn't actually happened in Australia and in, in a lot of other places. We're segregated and isolated and um, and othered. So I think, you know, it's a bit of chicken and egg, really. I think these issues will not be issues that we're having to wait for and there won't be issues that we're... Um, we're dismissed and silenced and invisible about, you know, until, until you know, something happens around us being included in, in the world, really. Samantha, how much of a difference would it make if we actually had a disability minister? I think some of the recommendations from the Senate committee were probably more valuable than a, than a disability minister. Um, no disrespect to... to um, Mitch Firefield, um, you know, because really it's just another politician sitting at the top of. So I think the idea of having an independent statutory national body, um, personally, I would like to see the same kind of sanctions and expectations imposed on um, people at the head of something, um, you know, as, as work safe and as the occupational health and safety laws. You know, if you stuff up and somebody in your care loses their life or get seriously injured, you go to jail or you get a $600,000 fine. So I think um, I think having that level of accountability is something that we could do now. Um, having a statutory body is something we can do now. And certainly the 30 recommendations that the Senate made, um, a lot of them are really small and achievable. And I think having that response now is a, you know, a good thing to start working on. What, what else? What else, if anything, can be... What else, what else, if anything, can be done, to Samantha, in terms of, um, in in terms of getting, in terms of getting, well, p- politicians to actually t- take notice that this is occurring. Um, I think making them aware that we have a dis, you know, a disability convention. You know, we have a convention on the right of disabled persons. Um, that we've signed up to with the UN. So there's actually measures within um, that convention that specifically say that you can't do these things, you know. So I think having an understanding of our rights is something that we could do now and making sure that those politicians have an understanding of our rights and their responsibility to make sure they're enacted through the things that they can do. Well, uh, sadly, sadly, we're almost out of time for this evening Sam but thank you very much for thank you very much for joining us and uh, guiding us through the uh, guiding us through these uh, difficult topics no problems thank you so much cheers that was that was Samantha Connor disability activist and um, all around person about town now I believe uh, Raphael might have a community announcement about Wild at Heart, they're doing a uh, thing on the 21st of August, is it? Uh, at, at, at called Mad, Mad something? Mad, no. No, okay. No, I said, I think I, Wild at Heart does have something coming up, which I haven't, 
and it's around August. There is a um, I Am Art exhibition opening on September the 15th, which has got a number of disability artists happening at the laneway in St Kilda, 148A Barclay Street, though. I think, yes, I think there is also, I think I received an email suggesting that there was also a, um, some, a, 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 some sort of mad uh, performance a performance embracing the term mad uh, coming up, I think, perhaps at the Prince of Wales band room or something. Anyway, I think for, that's on Saturday afternoon, I think. that Yeah, very that very well could be right. Anyway, for information about that, check out Wild at the... Wildatheart.org.au um, um, Fantastic. Um, all right. Well, uh, um, anything further to... Uh, uh, we'll be back on the 21st of September We're going out with a song If you've got a disability We won't be running away But that's known the song by uh, Running away by Heidi Everett Fantastic We'll see you We'll see, see you then Until then Keep well Keep listening to Tell My Voices I, next they, they are too Okay, cheers